With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, welcome back to the Your Money, Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Delano Soporu, founder and financial advisor at New Street Advisors Group. Episode two, if you have not listened to episode one, please um, go back and listen to episode one. Got some great feedback, even from my own father, who told me to stop saying um as much. And so we're going to stop saying um as much in episode two. So thank you for listening. We're going to dive right into our topic in our finance roundtable this week, which is retirement planning and how to set up for retirement. I've had a lot of questions I'm doing a lecture on Thursday about retirement planning, so I thought it'd be you know, apropos to talk about that subject uh, in this episode. So the first step you want to do or take when you're thinking about retirement planning is take current inventory of your situation. So what are your debts? What are your personal goals? When do you want to retire? How does retirement look like for you? How much are you going to spend in retirement? All those questions need to be looked at whether it's by yourself, whether it's by yourself and a professional, whether it's within your family, you need to take an assessment uh, of those of those items. And also tax implications, any risks that you see, but those things need to be answered. Next step would be to set up retirement accounts. Before you do that, you wanna have a laid out plan. Have you tracked your spending? Have you set up automatic you know, payments into your emergency cash flow and then eventually into your retirement accounts. Are you prepared? Have you set up yourself with a current advisor or a coach that you want to have that's preparing you for this journey? So those are other things that you have to think of. So that's how we've done that. Now we're setting up our retirement accounts. So what type of, you know, where do you go to do that? To answer that question, you kind of, you could always do research, but you know, there's a bunch of brokers, custodians, places that you can set up your account yourself. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can always go to a professional to help you set up an account. And what are the types of accounts that you can actually set up? So you've all heard of a traditional IRA account, which has a contribution limit of $6,000 annually. So what are the pros for this traditional IRA? The deductions lower your tax burden for that year that you make them. Obviously it's taxed on withdrawal. What about a Roth IRA, an after-tax retirement account? Contribution limit, $6,000 annually currently, and the distributions in retirement aren't taxed for the Roth IRA, and it's more lenient, more lenient rules for withdrawals in a Roth IRA. Since it's after-tax, there's more lenient rules for withdrawals. Uh, if you look at the two IRA accounts, they're both, you know, you're supposed to look at them as something you would you touch when you're 59 and a half. So the traditional IRA has a penalty of 10%. The Roth does in some cases well, but there are some lenient rules for when you can withdraw from your Roth. For example, if you're a first time home buyer, you can withdraw from your Roth without a 10% penalty if you're if it's you're doing so before 59 and a half. What about just a regular individual investing account? You can also use a regular individual investing account. That's just a 
your standard run-of-the-mill individual investing account. You can use that and save for you know retirement, save for house, save for different reasons. You can use that. So those are kind of the three you know basic accounts. And if you're self-employed, you have the SEP IRA, which has a contribution limit of a lesser of up to 25% of compensation or 56,000. And this is a tax deferred, these are tax deferred contributions, earnings are tax deferred. You have a simple IRA, which you can, you know, also use if you're a self-employed individual. So these are different retirement accounts you can look at. And I, I employ people to really, you know, dig into that. And first, you have to have your emergency cash set up. But once you do, these different accounts can be set up at any broker, custodian that you can think of. And you can have those accounts set up. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, I have the account set up. What, did, what do I do next? We talked about understanding yourself from the basis before you set up your accounts. But now you need to understand yourself and your objectives before you invest. One thing is, is I tell people to do their research. You do not invest without doing your research or consulting a professional, but you do need to understand your risk tolerance. So if you consult with a professional, if you work with me, I understand my client's risk tolerance, their investment objectives, obviously their investment horizon. Are we investing for, you know, someone that's, you know, near retirement? Are you, you know, a wealth builder, someone that's younger? that you know hopefully you're not near retirement or maybe you are that's a good thing but you have to understand why you're investing is it you know for retirement is it for a house what are you what are your objectives that's something big to answer before you invest you have to understand the market as well understanding the stock market understanding the macro environment if you looked at it the past week on a macro level, we've had different things that affected markets, whether it was coronavirus, the market, you have to be aware of the macro environment. So if you're just new to investing, you're probably wondering like, what do you invest in with your retirement account? There's obviously individual stocks and shares of public companies. So if you're looking at a retirement account, that's something you can employ. Again, this is something you have to do research on and understand the type of company you're investing in. And if you're someone that's on the later end of your investing horizon, you may not want to have equities as a larger portion of your portfolio, portfolio being the, the larger basket of securities that you own. So you want to look at, that's one, that's one type of security you can be invested in. There's also ETFs, exchange trade funds. ETFs contain a bundle of investments that can range from stocks to bonds, currencies, and cash. It's more diversification, which could bode well for you. Same with mutual funds, a collection of stocks and bonds. And when you're buying a mutual fund, you're essentially pooling your money with a number of other investors. Basics of investing, compound interest. If you don't know how compound interest works, you really want to employ it. It's something that when people talk about starting early, it's because of compound interest. As you invest that money that earns, call it 6% in one year, if you have $10,000 invested today at 6%, you will have 10,600 in one year. And if you keep, if you keep gaining 10% on, 6% on, on an annual basis, you're compounding at a higher number. Thus, 
the phrase compound interest. And that's really how people grow their retirement account. Even at a conservative 6%, that compound interest does its work. It helps you save and invest and save for your future. That's kind of the basics. And really starting early is a big thing that we touched on. You know, if you look at the numbers, when you can break down the mathematics of someone that starts at 25 versus 35 versus 45, they always talk about con contributing earlier to the best of your ability. It's not always easy, but it's something that you want to try to do. When you're talking about portfolio, we talked touched on portfolio earlier. What is the makeup of your portfolio? Do you want it to be, you know, growth aggressive? Do you want to be more conservative and have more fixed income and less equities? Fixed income meaning whether bonds or CDs or certificate deposits, something that kind of gives you a fixed rate of return. So my recommendation and when I look talk to people is obviously if you have to understand your risk tolerance, your objectives. But if you're nearing, if you're a younger person, you can be more aggressive knowing what the market does. The market since 1968 has given us an on average 10.6%, including dividends. So you can understand that. And you rebalance as you age. Target funds are not always a bad thing. You can rebalance your portfolio as you age. So that's something to look at. Sum that up. The big thing you want to do First, is take inventory of yourself and what you're looking for. What are your objectives? The next thing would be talk to a professional. A professional will be able to help with piecing the, the, the plan together. Sometimes you, you can't do this on your own. You want to piece the plan together. And then finally, stick to the plan. Be disciplined. This is something that's super hard to set up, and a lot of people don't you know, want to think that far ahead, but you have to. We have to. And being disciplined is is very key. And also get support from those around you. I, I work with people or clients, people in my network that I know that their family, they set up a family plan from the beginning. They're stuck with it. And it's been wonderful. And they're happy with what they're doing. They're really, everyone's bought in. It's kind of like a team. Everyone buys in to the vision, to the goal. You may win the Super Bowl like the Kansas City Chiefs. Thank you for listening. Uh, Monica Taylor has a great background, worked in TV, syndication, um, producing shows, doing a lot of different great things in her illustrious career. And she stopped in to talk about her new venture, which is actually helping people create strong businesses. She's done it herself on, on multiple levels when selling products with TV, with television. And now she's helping folks understand how to build and scale their businesses. And so we asked her a little bit about how to go about that and how she's doing that and how does finance, you know, play a part in her life um, through her history. So I hope you enjoy, enjoy that conversation. Now, welcome to another week of Your Money, Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Alana Sapporo, and we are here with someone I'm very excited to speak to and have you guys hear from, Monica Taylor, who is a business coach slash consultant, um, and also has a myriad of different other things that she works with and, and then things that she uh, does. And I'm excited to interview her, and um, I'd love for you guys to kind of hear her wealth of experience. But uh, Monica, welcome. 
Well, welcome. I'm honored to be here. And this is the first time I heard your name said correctly. I've been saying it incorrectly for a while now. My apologies. <laughs> You're not the only one. A lot of people say different. Delano is what I hear a lot. Um, yeah. Franklin Delano. <laughs> but it is Delano. Uh, but yeah, no, no. It, that's, so you're not the only person. All right. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I kind of ran through your background. But if you will, kind of give the listeners a little rundown of kind of, you know, yeah, again, you have a wealth experience, but tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, your career background, some of those experiences that you that you have under your belt. Wow. Um, it goes back a long way. I, I did start my career in television, mm-hmm. um, and I started as a producer on the original Maury Povich show, actually. Wow. And um, yeah, I worked my way up pretty quickly. And as I started producing for different networks, I realized that... Um, you know, to make money, you have to have some sort of ownership or have your own shows or have your own programming. So what I did was I started doing my own pilots and selling my own television shows Mm, and to networks. Yeah. And I was married at the time. So we actually did it together. So we used his contacts with the network and then my contacts with um, television. And we sort of put together some pilots and we got a deal um, with a network. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's how I started executive producing and owning my own shows. And um, that was a very, very big deal for me because back then there weren't many small production companies that had ownership, mm. especially with a big company like Paramount. So I was mm-hmm. able to do that. And that's actually led to my biggest success was owning my own programming allowed me to then syndicate my shows all over the world mm. for the last 15 years that's that's amazing talk to you about that process the syndication process the distribution um you mentioned that's like kind of the, one of the biggest decisions you made in your life that kind of really helped you know your career what how did you guys one how did you come on deciding to it's, do that and then how did it work it set us apart it set me apart from everyone else from being just mm. a producer it was actually my business partner LaShawn Browning and she had the idea of um, syndication. She had talked about it and talked about it. And she convinced me, and we actually bought a booth at MIPCOM. And mm. it's a funny story because we had no idea what we were getting into. We bought a booth, and we didn't budget for it. We didn't know. We showed up at this international festival with basically no walls in our booth. <laughs> it wasn't done. We, we really were so unprepared. Like, we had the idea but we didn't know what we were getting into. Yeah. And we, what we did do is we bought the biggest, rented the biggest TV screens and we put all our programming on it and we were able to get the best response ever. Mm. And there was a syndicator there and um, from Fremantle media and she wasn't going to meet with us because we were a small company, you know? So those bigger companies didn't want to meet with us. I waited outside of her office for four hours Love at the it. convention and she said to me, you have to go. Like, I can't meet with you. I said, nope, I'm going to stay. And you're going to give me 10 I said, and I promise you, how much is that client in there making you right now? I said, a million dollars, I'll make you a million dollars. And I waited. She met with me. She took my product, and we made over a million dollars. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's wonderful. It talks to the term, your your determination and your business savvy, like uh, that's one thing I noticed about you is you're obviously you have a wealth of experience, but you're very um, you're very together. You're very organized. You're very determined, and you have you know a strategy that you put forth, 
and you're able to execute that strategy. Um, so that's really, really wonderful um, how you kind of went about that. And then you mentioned ownership a couple times. Like, what does that mean to you? How do people out there, you know, that maybe they want to, you know, do something in their, whether it's their business or their, you know, their career. And you mentioned ownership being huge. Um, and it was obviously huge for you as you went to, you know, executive producing and, and syndication. How does that look like? for other people that want to do that or, you know, what tips can you have from your experience on ownership and what difference that makes? You have to be a big picture person Mm. to even get the idea of ownership because you're going to give up something. And some people don't get that. Mm. They want ownership, but you know, to have ownership, you have to take a big hit. So even on my television shows where I had ownership, there were times where I took less money upfront from the network to maintain ownership, you know, so I had a smaller budget and I had to make it on the back end. One of those shows I was never able to sell, you know, and that happens sometimes, but other shows were very different. So you have to be willing to negotiate and give up something for your ownership. Sometimes Um, ownership usually isn't always 100%. You know, I still have to pay networks a percentage sometimes of part of syndication for a certain window. Yeah. So it's it's just not so obsolete. And if people can understand that and see a bigger picture and then understand it's the it's what you do behind it that really matters. Yeah. Um, you know, with the ownership, it's it's the syndication afterwards, it's the product afterwards. Um, some of that programming that I've been able to sell for 15 years now I can turn over and sell to Netflix. Mm. You know, and uh, and these others these other platforms now because I have ownership of it. Yahoo bought our programming. Mm. You know, so there's so many ways if you can think that way of how important it makes the difference of just producing for somebody or owning it and then be able to, you know, create that as part of your brand, something mm. bigger. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, you mentioned like it was streaming, all the different, you know, streaming and content, you know, avenues that are all out there now. If you have ownership, like you said, of your programming, you have, you have a bidding war essentially on your hands in some cases because you can say, Hey, okay, Netflix offered me this. Uh, Yahoo is saying this and you can create that kind of bidding war and because you have ownership you're able to kind of be you know in the middle of that and that's a great great spot to be um, so I love I love that tidbit um, let's talk about you know that bidding war and actually writing check you mentioned whether it's investors or you know you're selling something how do you get people you know tell the people like give the listeners a steps on like how to <laughs> get someone to write a check whether it's investors or you're selling something because a lot of people want to be like oh I want to sell something I want to screw a business seller I want to you know, be able to sell something. I just don't know what to create. Like, how do you get someone and how do you be a better sales man or woman out there or for the, for the people that may not have those beginning steps? I swear. That's funny. You said salesman. If more people did that. And as a coach, um, now that I coach clients and help them, I help people understand it's so important to really know what you're good at mm. and what you're not good at. And really think about how much time some people approach it from. They're going to spend all the time in the world getting better at what they're not good at. And some people just want to do what they're good at, you know, (laughs) and it's somewhere in the middle. But salesmen are important if you don't know how to close a sale, right? If you don't know how to get something done. Like I went to that convention unprepared. Like we said, we had the vision. We knew we had, we thought we had a product worth, you know, syndicating. But, you know, I didn't let it throw me off because, Mm -hmm. That's where I think my superpower is learning how to hustle. And I help clients with that, learning how to close that sale, learning how to convince you like me and say to that woman, after four hours and me promising that I make her a million dollars, she had to at least entertain me. Yes. Yes. Right. At least entertain me. Now, I was not going to say I would have walked with her to her car if I had to, (laughs) you know, and had the meeting then. I had made up my mind to do it. 
Um, and I think that's the part people don't get is they personalize it too much closing a sale and you have to take the personalization out of it. You know, you have to know if you have something to offer what it's worth and get that done. Yeah. You know, don't worry if the person isn't open at first. Don't worry if you have to convince and don't worry because in the end, when you walk away, that person will respect, you know, as much as you tried. Yeah. You know, so that means something. And I think that's the part a lot of clients have the problem with is doing all the work, but not knowing how to close that sale. Take the personalization out of it. Yeah. Um, really put the science in it. You know, and be willing to put yourself out there and say what you're willing to do. You know, are you willing to take less to show them? Are you what are you, what exactly are you willing to do to close the deal? Mm. You bring good points because, you know, you know, obviously, like the, you mentioned, I'm also in the business of, you know, telling people my services and letting them know. And I realize, again, like you said, I let people know up front. I'm telling, like you said, tell them what you're willing to do for them, what you are willing to provide. Um, and also, you know, it's take the personalization out of it. But I love to be personal. I tell people personalize how I can personalize my service toward, towards them. And also, again, rejection is also part of this. You know, any any sales or any business where you have to tell people your services, you know, some people may already be using someone or some people may just not be at that point. So you have to take, like you mentioned, it's not a personal thing. It's just something where you care that person wasn't right. Let's keep moving and keep finding people that are right for your services so that you can let them know and help them and do a great job. So that makes a good point. I want to veer off a little bit and go back to, you know, what you currently do now. We've talked a lot about your past, um, but now you are obviously coaching, consulting on different levels. Tell the people a little bit about what you kind of uh, currently, what you're currently doing. Um, it, you know, I, I now I'm a coach and consultant. Um, I'm a business coach and a life coach. And mm-hmm. um, when you get me, you get a little bit of both, a little bit of a consultant, and a little bit of a coach. Um, but it was after a big failure of mine. I had secured um an exclusive deal with HSN years ago. Mm-hmm. And for a line of products I had called Moms Made Easy, it was a homework box. It's this item I actually created mm-hmm. and I manufactured in Asia myself and brought back. Wow. And I was able to secure a deal with HSN, right? Big deal. And it was great. The problem was it was in a category that they didn't serve, which is mothers. If you notice on those shopping channels, they don't have a lot of products for children. Oh. But they believed in me so much, they actually gave me an exclusive deal. Okay. And this was my biggest failure ever, ever. My biggest failure. I, I, it was a different genre. I came from television and owning television shows and those sorts of properties to now a physical product. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was a lot of money. I didn't have a business plan because I didn't need a business plan before that. You know, I had somebody, a production manager that did my budgets and I was so unprepared. And then when it did kick off, I, I didn't know how to scale it. And coming from that, I think it really made me look at business differently. Yeah. And um, yeah, so after that, I started a blog and it was from there I realized so many people wanted to ask me advice and so many mm. people wanted to talk and so many people wanted to hear my story. I was going through a public divorce and I was very open about things. And that's when I said, you know what, I have to take this seriously. If I'm going to give people advice on their life or their business, I'm going to go to school for it. You know, I'm going to learn how to do it properly. Wow. And I took two years and I did and I did that and I studied and I, you know, got to where I am now. But what I do is I specialize in helping people launch and rebrand their businesses. God. I save you time and money for two reasons, because most people don't know what step to take next. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. You know, after you do all the fun stuff like your business cards and your website, <laughs> they don't really know how to structure a business for sales or for profit 
or you know how to do a business plan and 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 that sort of thing and that's something I help people save tons the return on interest on coaching and especially a good coach yeah can be three to five times what you pay yeah and then the other thing is especially with female entrepreneurs I help people get out of the way yeah. I help people figure out why they can't why they're stuck yeah. why they can never yeah take that next step and that's a for women you know it's an added element that men don't always have is that you know, we are taking care of more things, home and, and the family and yep. the activities and work. Yeah. And, and the balance, it says something. And as a coach, I know that and a lot of women don't know that it will affect your position at work. It will affect how you manage at work when you don't have that work and home balance, personal balance. No, that's a good point. I was actually going to ask you about how it, you know, you tailor how the coaching differs for, for women entrepreneurs. So, you know, if they're listening you know, you kind of displayed or, or kind of gave some outlines on the differences and, and how to, you know, push through those and, and make sure that you, uh, the person gets gets off to the right foot. Um, so that's a great, great tip. And I guess on that personal level or on that personal side, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, a former partner, husband, um, and you. And how did that affect your business? Because you mentioned uh, if there was a public divorce um, that happened. Um, can you dive into that a little bit more? One, how it affected you on a personal level, uh, what happened and how it affected you on a personal level and also how it affected business or did you guys have tied things together and how do people, you know, navigate that if you can shed any light on that situation? Yeah, that that was we, we were husband and wife and business partners. Mm. So it, it was and, and best friends since 10 years old. So wow. on all levels, it, 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 it was, you know, it affected both of us. But um for me personally, going through a divorce publicly was difficult. Um, but financially, we were probably in the best place, he and I. Um, I. I did take care of the finances and I did take care of the investments and the insurance and that sort of thing. And we were really fair with each other um, in the end. Um, but I did learn a lot during that time, you know, and I, I learned a lot of things that I can teach women now moving forward yeah. that maybe I didn't know that I would do differently, so to speak, um, and handling it in with work, you know, we were very symbiotic in work and we really did build an empire together. I used to negotiate his contracts. Um, we did the TV shows together. He was my host. Um, we did everything together. So I had to learn to do that part that he did which was close a deal or get to the end, you mm. know, or finish. Mm. And so I had to learn that as he had to learn to have somebody there to carry through, you know, the part that I did. So I think it did take us a while to kind of replace each other or those positions that we, that we did, but we've been able to do it. We've been able to do it and we're in a good place now. So you never know, maybe one day we'll work together again. Good. Well, yeah, it's good to be in a good place now. And that's, yeah helpful tips as you said you know and for people out there that are you know it's always good to know you know what to do in those situations so that's very helpful and yeah you can i guess along those lines now that you're in a coach and a consultant and you deal with clients um i guess you know in the first year you kind of i'm assuming you'd want like what tips do you have for people in their first year obviously you know the first thing i would say is that you know hire maybe if you don't know what to do like that you don't know that first step probably hire a consultant or a coach like yourself monica that teaches them so what tips do you have in that first year to make sure that their business doesn't fail uh, what tips do you have for for people out there 
Um, most of the reason why um, young businesses fail is especially female owned businesses is um, they don't have the planning. It's yeah. plain and simple. They just don't plan to win. And if you don't plan well, you're going to fail, meaning <laughs> they don't have the right cash reserve that they need to start yeah. a business. Yeah. You know, and people think that I'm just going to grind it through. I'm going to grind. It. <laughs> You'll be grind. You can't grind forever, you know. So at some point you have to have positive income. So they don't plan. Timetables are off. People think, don't realize that companies create this with, with departments. You know, to be an individual and start a business, even if it's on a smaller scale with the same structure, you're doing it alone or with a yeah. VA, you know, or with a smaller team. Yeah. It takes you five times as long. And they have a hard time accepting that, that mm. it's going to take that long. Um, so it's time, it's planning, it's um, actually business plan. What did I say? My biggest failure was because I did not have a real business plan. Yeah. And so my first product, I'm so happy to say it'll be out shortly it's called the blueprint and it is the easiest the best business plan that you can sit down and literally in in a day or a week and put together your business plan and kind of know how your business is structured okay. we walk you through it we dumb it down you don't need an mba to do it because mm -hmm. most people who start businesses like myself entrepreneurs right we're, we're the other side of the brain so Sitting down to do all that is, is very overwhelming yeah. to us, but it's really important to know how much reserve you have, how much you're going to put into marketing, you know, and if that doesn't work, where are you going to get the money? How can they get capital? So this blueprint does it all and it helps to, in the end, it walks you through how to write it out. It'll even give you prompts to help you in places where you don't know what to say or what mm. to write for those of us who aren't creative or aren't writers. And in the end, you will get your actual business plan printed out. And there's a financial section as well. And, you know, you can segment it for brick and mortar versus online versus if you do both. Mm. It's just a really simple streamlined plan for people to stay on track because that's why they fail. If you can see things, then you can kind of stop them where they're happening and saying, you know what, why aren't we cash positive in this area? Well, you know, we got to scrap this and put it here because this is working. But if you don't have that on paper and you're not monitoring it, you can't fix it in the first year or the second year. Mm. No, that's a very, very good point um, is, you know, again, having a strong plan, being able to execute that plan. Um, and like I said, I like this blueprint product because you mentioned if it's someone that's, you know, maybe hasn't, you know, they feel like they're a little bit hesitant or they feel, you know, a little bit. Not, not as confident about their business acumen, you know, being able to see something in the easy to read, easy to follow way kind of really, really helps someone out with that. So I like that. So I guess, you know, on the last bit of that, let's talk about, you know, your, your consulting business. You mentioned the product. Is there any cool things that you guys have coming for 2020 for people, whether it's entrepreneurs, career people that, you know, what you would be able to do for them that 2020, uh, I know you're launching, you're kind of getting ready to launch um, everything you have going on. But is there anything, anything that you can let people know to look out for? Yeah, well, I only do private clients up to now, and now I am automating everything so that people can buy products and can buy my services online. Um, and we have exciting stuff coming up. Besides the blueprint, we're going to be doing some workshops mm. and some virtual workshops because my network is, is so spread out across the country. Got it. You know, we want to make, yeah, we want to bring it so everyone can get together. And at the end of the year, we're hoping to be doing a retreat. Mm. 
We hope, yes, for female entrepreneurs, business owners, where we will go. I'm not sure yet. I don't want to say yet. But Are you going to Wyoming with Kanye or will, will, will this be where Kanye is at? You know I will not be where Kanye is. <laughs> okay? I definitely won't be there. Um, but um, it'll probably be international. And um, uh, that's at the end of the year. But throughout, we have some workshops. And also, we're going to start showcasing some master classes nice. from people I think that um, people can really benefit from hearing um, all this advice and all these little tidbits that can help you, especially at the beginning of starting a business, like we say, when it's so daunting mm. and you don't want to look at your numbers and you don't want to think about how long things are going to take you. you. Hire a coach. I promise you, you will get back. If you hire the right coach, you will get back three to five times what you pay that coach in profits. That's that's very true. Kanye, if you're listening, I would love an invite to Wyoming, um, just so you know. Um, <laughs> last question. <laughs> Um, you know, I thank you one for, for coming on. Um, my last question is you, you so many wealth experience in TV and production and, and series of shows. What is kind of the craziest stories that you experienced, uh, in that industry, um, uh, through the years that you, you know, worked in, is there any cool kind of fun, crazy stories? I guess it could be along the celebrity line or any, anything actually. Honestly. There's crazy stories. Most of my, um, catalog of programming is our celebrity base. Mm. Um, so I cannot say what the <laughs> stories are. But I will tell you a funny, cute story was one time we were doing Puffy and he had this crazy rider that somebody sent over and they asked for everything fresh. They wanted cranberry juice fresh, <laughs> freshly squeezed, a cranberry juice, lemon juice. So this PA who was trying so hard, he's actually a big time executive producer now. He produces, um, I, I don't I don't know what show it is on TLC, but he went home and spent like $40 on cranberries trying to freshly press them. There's no such thing as fresh pressed cranberries. (laughs) But he was so afraid to tell us that he couldn't find it or couldn't do it. So that's about the only story I can tell you. The rest of them are a little bit too crazy. Shout out to Puffy. He loves making people get, you know, fresh stuff, but it's donuts or... It it probably wasn't even Puffy. (laughs) Somebody else put that on there, but, you know. Awesome. Well, wow. Thank you, Monica. We really appreciate um, your time. Um, and yeah, tell the people where they can find you on social, email. I'd love, uh, love for them to be able to contact you if they have any follow-up Yes. Um, all my social handles are at Monica Talks. You can find me and um, MonicaTaylorTalks.com will be um, up and going shortly. Mm. Hopefully by the time this airs. Um, so Monica Talks on social media or online. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Monica. We appreciate your time. And um, yeah, this has been another episode of Your Money, Your Life. And thank you for your time, Monica.